Okay, we're in uh, Mark, I mean Matthew, chapter 17, 1 through, thir one through 13, if you want to follow along. I'm reading from the ESV version. I got to calm down. <laughs> After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man has raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes and the Sarahs, why do the scribes and the why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? That first Elijah must come. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not receive, they did not recognize him. But, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, Father, and we just give you all glory and all praise, Father. We're so grateful that we can come together as family, as believers, to hear your word, to have you, what you have for us today, Father. Lord, we pray for those in our church that are suffering either medical issues or marriage issues, financial issues, whatever may be going on. We just pray that your peace be upon them and that you walk with them day by day, Father. Lord, we ask you to anoint Jackie's teaching today. Open our hearts and minds for what you'd have for us. And we pray this on Jesus. Amen. All the little ones are free. Have fun. You guys ever have one of them stories you wish would go away? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. For David, it was Bathsheba. For me, it's a newspaper article in the <laughs> Buell Herald. It's not good to be famous for anything. We're going to take a look uh, this morning at the vision of Messiah. And it was interesting because some of the things that happened, you know, uh, I guess all preachers, I would think all preachers go through this. Events in your life happen and it, and it um, maybe opens your eyes up, you know, to, to stuff that's going on. And in this story, it's like the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they all get an opportunity to really see Jesus. 
Like they get to peek through the veil of his flesh and see the glory of, uh, of the Son of God. And what an incredible moment that that is and must have been for them. Before we jump too far down the road and, and talk about the idea of seeing Jesus, I want you to think a little bit about the timing. It says in uh, Matthew 17, verse 1, after six days. It says in Mark 9, 2, after six days. It says in Luke 9, 28, now about eight days. Now, why do, are they different? Well, because people reckon things differently. They don't all count from the same moment. Do you know that? Because me and my wife do not tell time the same at all. We have in our house at least 30 clocks. None of them have the same time on them. Probably 20 of them don't work at all. So Lord have mercy if you're looking at those clocks. They are reckoning time. You, you have Matthew and Mark reckoning time from the, the, the time in the gap, six days. And Luke reckoning time from the beginning of movement to the transfiguration. So Luke has the day that they're speaking and the day after the day of the transfiguration included. Both of them use uh, the term about. So don't get yourself too wrapped around the axle. After six days is the, not a different phrase than about eight days. One's just a little clearer than the others. One includes the day of the remark and the day of the event. So that's the difference. That's the, what they call the problem of the timing. But it says, it's something we should ask ourselves, it says in verse 2, <clears throat> well, let's back up. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John and took them to a high mountain. Why did they go there? What did they go there for? And why those three? And why, why show <clears throat> those three the sneak peek view of Jesus in his glory? What is it about them? And why, why is, it, is it just Jesus playing favorites? I mean, they're the, the three that he had to keep closest. They're the three, if he left them alone, would get into trouble. So they got to go with Jesus wherever he goes. When we ask ourselves these questions, I think, there's a, there, I think there's several answers. Luke tells us the why. Why'd they go? The, the Bible says in Luke 9, 29, now about eight days after these saying, he took Peter, John, and James, and they went on the mountain to pray. And while they were praying, Jesus metamorphosized. Jesus was transfigured before them. But I still have the question, why Peter, James, and John? Now, we know Peter is going to be at the forefront of ministry for the church, right? We know he's going to be a, a prime figure. He's going to be the first one to preach on the day of Pentecost. He's going to see people come to be saved. He's going to see the Jews receive the gospel. He's going to see the Gentiles receive the gospel, right? He's going to be the one who goes to Cornelius. And Cornelius comes to salvation through uh, Peter's ministry. Remember Peter, the dream? Peter, arise, kill, and eat. No, Lord. 
That's not what we're supposed to say. We've talked about this before. When the Lord challenges our traditions, we should be obedient to the Lord, right? Your traditions don't matter as much as being obedient to what God has said, do they? Peter, arise, kill, and eat. No. Peter, arise, kill, and eat. No. Peter, arise, kill, and eat. There are people coming to get you, Peter. You're going to go to a house of a Gentile guy. He's unclean. You need to go. And Peter goes. And the Gentiles receive the gospel. James, in that first wave of persecution, is going to be the first disciple who's going to be martyred. James and John are the sons of Zebedee, also called Boagernus, or the sons of thunder. They're going, James is going to die, and John, he's going to be there all the way through the end. And the persecution is going to become so intense on John that, that stories tell us John was dropped into boiling oil and survived. And so there was intense, he dies of old age. Peter, how's Peter die? Peter, Peter's going to be crucified like Jesus, right? But he doesn't want to be crucified in the same manner, so he'll be crucified upside down. Tradition also tells us so was his wife. These three guys are going to see persecution like Christ saw. Now, all the disciples are going to be martyred, with the exception of John, who survives his martyrdom. All of them are going to suffer. All of them are going to be persecuted. But Jesus takes these three, and he takes them to this mountain right after, if you remember last week, right after he told them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be taken. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be killed, and on the third day he will rise again. You ever have news you don't want to hear? You ever heard something you didn't want to hear? Maybe from a doctor, maybe, maybe from a, a phone call you don't want to have, and the person on the other side has news you don't want to hear. No matter what that news is, if you heard the last part about what Jesus uh, said you can have hope. The last thing that Jesus said is, I will rise again. Jesus is going to defeat death. So no matter what things we face, no matter what things come, the victory has been won in Christ and we can have hope. We can have hope that God is able to deliver us from or we can have hope that God will deliver us through. But he will deliver us. They didn't want to hear this news. They didn't want to hear what was coming. They didn't want to hear. And so over and over again, you hear them kind of deft to the, to the message. Peter, he piped up. You guys remember? Not so, Lord. Peter had this way of just telling God no. Now, before we laugh at Peter too hard, you have a way of telling God no too. And Peter should stop it, and so should we, right? Yes, Lord. This Sometimes God's plan for us, not the plan we want. Sometimes God's plan for us, not the plan we signed up for. 
Each one of these three guys uniquely is going to face a, an amount of persecution from the world like Christ. Jesus has said, right, a, a, a servant is not greater than his master. If they hate me, they will hate you too. Did they hate Peter? What about James? What about John? If they hate me, they will hate you too. Just earlier, the very last verse of chapter 16, Jesus said, some of you will not taste of death, which is an interesting say, a, a statement, right? There is by no means a, a huge consensus on this, by the way. Some of you will not taste death until you have seen the Son of Man come in his kingdom. And Mark did a great job with it. He explained to you that the majority view is that we're talking about the transfiguration. The very next story, three guys are going to see Jesus in his glory. Amen? And so we have this preceding. We have this idea preceding. We have these three guys chosen, taken to a mountain to pray. Was this normal for Jesus? Yeah, this is not new. It's not like this day was different than any other day. Did Jesus arise early in the morning all the time? He did. What did he do when he arose early in the morning? He went to a quiet place to pray. Do you think it was odd that he would take disciples, here these disciples, there those disciples? The Bible doesn't tell us, but it wouldn't be odd that he would take them. We know at the Garden of Gatshmone, he's going to have disciples with him there, right? <clears throat> As he prays and sweats great drops of blood. But this is unique because as they're praying, don't miss this, please. They see Jesus' glory. Listen, as they're praying, they're up on the mountain to pray. Luke 9.29, right? And as he was praying, his appearance and his face altered and his clothes became dazzling white. A lot of times we say, why, why, I feel so discouraged, I feel so down, I feel so trampled, there's so much sad news, there's so much pain, there's so much hurt, and I just can't see the Lord. Well, my first question to you will be, are you praying? Because the first thing that you're going to surrender in your discouragement will be prayer. And you will tell yourselves, my prayers don't do anything anyway. And what that means, that is, our, that is a Christian's version of a two-year-old's fit. What that means is you're not doing what I want. And the, and the last time I checked, you and I are not God. Are we God? Trust me, you don't want me making decisions. Some of you wouldn't have made it through this last year. Yeah, do you think the sons of thunder are the only ones who ever want to call down fire? Okay, Lord. <laughs> One more comment about, what did, what did I get? Rick Harrelson? Harris? The, the Pawn Stars guy? I keep getting pictures on my phone. So I had to put my phone down because every time my phone went, it was a picture of the guy from Pawn Stars. It's a good thing I'm not the Lord. I may have called fire down on one or two. I'm teasing. But the point is, if we were God, we want things to happen a certain way, right? And some of us 
would have stopped things that shouldn't have been stopped. It's funny because this last week, you know, I was thinking a lot about Casey. You guys remember Casey Becker? You know, Casey wrote in one of her journals that, that she wouldn't have changed getting cancer. And that cancer took her home. And it was hard and a lot of pain and a lot of people in the circle outside of Casey that were affected by it. And, and some of them are still reeling today. One of them is a beautiful young lady named Carrie Nebaker. Who this week could say, I understand I didn't understand what, what, what was happening with Casey. I didn't understand. And if, if I could have been God, I would have took it away. But the experiences that she went through, and this, this is just a small little circle we can see. How many ripples can't you see? Where now there's a woman in a hospital praying that God would deliver her husband through a horrific accident and horrific physical injuries. But my God is able. And I think Carrie looks at it and says, I don't know. I don't know if I want this, but I understand recognizing God doing incredible things through something hard. And if you surrender prayer and seeking to align your uh, desires with God's plan, then you're not going to see Jesus. Carrie's in a subway traveling back and forth, sees a homeless person, decides to minister to them the love of Christ. She would not have been on that subway, would not have had that interaction, would not, any of those things would have happened if the accident didn't happen, if he wasn't in Utah, if she wasn't there with him. But sometimes God's plan is not our plan. And sometimes we get so frustrated and discouraged that you stop praying. And when you stop praying, I'm telling you, you're not going to see Jesus. But if you will Keep your eyes on the prize and pray on the mountain. You will see him glorified. You will see the glory of Jesus Christ through the pain, through the hurt, through our suffering. You will see the glory of Jesus Christ. And that is the very thing that gives us hope. Because seeing Christ glorified reminds us all of this stuff has been defeated anyway. And we think so often we're so blinded by what we got to do now, what we got, what's got to happen now that we forget the future that we have. Don't we? We forget the promises that God gives us. I'm sitting on a... a coast in Oregon, which is always a good place to sit, when I got the text that Lauren went home. 
Now, in my plan, I would have been able to be there. I would have been able to hold his hand. I would have been able to, to I, I've been at a thousand hospital beds or a thousand sick beds just like that. But God said, no, I don't get to be there. But he has other people there, doesn't he? And did those people get to see the glory of God? Ask Mark. Ask Mark if he saw the glory of God through the pain and the suffering, even as, as Lauren passes. Ask Victor if he saw the glory of God. It is always too soon to quit. It is always too soon to lose hope. It is always wrong to get discouraged. I'm not saying it's not understandable, but it's wrong. That is why our job as the body of Christ, according to the writer of Hebrews, is to encourage one another every day. Not because discouragement is not a thing, but because it is a thing. And we have to remind one another, you got to stay connected to God if you want to see the glory of God and what's happening. Because if all you can see is the pain and the hurt and the battle that's right in front of you, you're going to miss it. You know how I know? In the Gospel of John, before Jesus is crucified, Mary comes to him and breaks an alabaster jar pours out a costly fragrance of spikenard. Spikenard is very pungent, very strong. Imagine like the strongest perfume you can, you can get in your head. And she anointed him, and Jesus said, leave her alone. Remember they were all complaining? There's, you know, well, not them all. It's always started by the one Judas, but the rest of them join in because they're knuckleheads. Jesus says, let her alone. She has anointed me for what? She's anointed me for my burial. Now, we go forward a few days. Jesus is on the cross. John is there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother. I imagine they're holding on to the cross. They're looking up. The blood of Christ is all over them. But he's a giant bloody mess, right? And the the things that they're looking at and seeing and the cruelty that they're seeing is totally blinding. But if they close their eyes and they breathe in through their nose, you know what they smell? The sweet-smelling aroma of a sacrifice given to God that accomplishes things you and I can't even begin to fathom, right? That redeems you and I, that, that purchases all those who are believing. It brings them, it draws them into relationship with Christ. And if all you can see is the horror of it, you miss the glory. It happens while they're praying that the glory of Christ breaks few, or breaks through. The word is metamorphothe, which sounds like metamorphosis, right? It's just fun to say metamorphothe. You guys want to do it? 
You can if you want to. It means to be changed. It means that the glory that was always in Christ, it didn't just appear there, it was always there. It broke through. It broke through. It, it came out so that they could see, so that they could recognize. I want you to hear Peter's voice when he's writing about this in, in 2 Peter 1.16. Listen, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I saw him. I just hear Peter saying, as he's looking at Jesus, who has no form or comeliness that you would desire him, you guys wouldn't have picked him out of a lineup because he just looked normal, like everybody else. But they could look up at him, and, and then from that moment they could say, I see you. I see you. They saw his Glory For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice born to him from majestic glory said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice. We ourselves, for we were with him on that holy mountain. We were with him that day in prayer. John 1.14 John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He's not talking about theological uh, uh, abstract ideas. I saw him, the glory of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. They saw his glory. Now, Scripture goes on, and it tells us that, that he, his clothes became white like light. It's like the glory breaks through him, and, and everything else is an abstraction. The, the clothes, the skin, all that stuff. And what's coming out is the truth of who he is. The glory of God, and to the point where they're blinded. They, you can't see. It's like driving toward the sunrise or the sunset, you know, at just that particular time on just the right road and you can't see anything. Like the sun shining in its strength is what the scriptures would declare. But he goes on in verse 3 and he says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Why those two? When we get to the end, I'm going to say, well, because Elijah was prophesied to be there. Didn't the Bible say Elijah would come before? There he is. You ever ask yourself, how do they know? How do they know that's Elijah and that's Moses? I don't know. Maybe Moses is holding the tablets. And maybe Elijah, he looks like a crazy prophet. And there's a lot of stories about Elijah, right? And they had just seen a crazy prophet, right? Just like him, John the Baptist. So they're there talking. Why are they talking? Well, I would tell you because they are the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ represented in the word of God, the law and the prophets. If, if someone is giving you a short description 
a Hebrew short description of the Bible, they're going to call it the Law and the Prophets. I know there's three, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, but normally when they talk about it, they talk about it just as the Law or the Law and the Prophets. But they all mean the same thing. They're talking about Scripture as it has been revealed. And so there stands Moses and Elijah. Now, you know why Moses? One of the reasons Moses is there, not just to represent the law. He said there will be a prophet who will come. And you better listen to him. Because the words that he says are words that will bring salvation. Deuteronomy chapter 18. You go look. And in a moment, we're going to see, I think, that reality as Moses is, is there, Elijah is there, and Peter, just blown away by seeing the glory of God and all this stuff going on, and look, there's Moses, and look, there's Elijah. <coughs> Probably, we're at the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, so they're, they're already thinking about booths, tents, living in tents, because that's what they'd be doing during this feast. It's fall time. So it, it's, it fits the, the narrative. It's certainly possible. Uh, Peter lifts up his head and says, Lord, well, it's good for us to be here. You know why he's saying that? He's see, he thinks he's seeing the establishment of the kingdom of God. It's happening. Here he is. There's Jesus in all his glory. There's Moses. There's Elijah. It's happening. It's now. Oh, it's good for us to be here. We get to see it. We're, we're seeing it all happen. We're seeing it all take place. <clears throat> so he says, let's build three tents. It's the Feast of Sukkot. You guys should all have your own tent. It says in the Gospel of Luke 9.33, Peter spoke not knowing what he was saying. Anybody ever do that? Peter spoke, not knowing what he was saying. Yep, I've been there. <clears throat> I certainly have gone down that road before. And you say, think, you're trying to say something good, but you end up saying something not so good. And here it is. Peter is thinking, I knew he wasn't going to have to go to the cross. I know my plans better. Jesus don't have to go to the cross. He's not going to have to die. They're all here. There's the glory. Let's do this. This is his thinking. But while he was still speaking, that's what the next verse says. Peter's, the words are still coming out of his mouth. A bright cloud overshadowed them. The father showed up. A bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jackie, paraphrase. Shut up and listen to Jesus. Stop talking. Stop. There have been a number of times where I've been in one situation or another which I, where, where I wish I would have heard these words. Jackie, just shut up. Just be quiet. Let God do his thing. Let God do his thing. Sometimes we're like Peter trying to turn off what God's doing bringing the glory that God's going to bring. And he's not going to change. He's not going to answer the prayer we're praying because we're praying that he does my will, not his. And we want the Lord God to be glorified. The Father speaks. And when the disciples heard this, this is what happens every time somebody sees or uh, finds themselves in the presence of God the Father. 
they fell on their face and were afraid. No more talking. No more looking. No more seeing. In Exodus chapter 20, the last time God, uh, or well, one of the last times God spoke, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain on fire smoking, you're looking up at a mountain that's smoking because God's presence is there. The people were afraid and trembled and stood afar off. They, they, they did not want to draw near. So they said, Moses, you go. Moses, you go talk to him. The Lord gave a command to listen. Why did he give the command to listen? Because Deuteronomy 18, 15 Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brethren. It is to him you shall listen. And whoever will not listen to my words that he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Oh, the, the prophet, the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the voice of God, the word of God that was going to come to the people of God because the people of God are afraid of God the Father, but when the Son comes, He just looks like everybody else. They were so familiar with Him, they weren't even afraid to put Him on a cross. And the Father gave His approval. This is my Son in whom I delight. And then the disciples just are on their face, on the ground, eyes closed, as tight as they can close them, thinking, uh, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And what happens next? The Bible says Jesus touched them. Have you been touched by Jesus? Because if you have, you will never be the same. He touched them and he said, rise, don't be afraid. I'm here. The Bible declares this phrase and you need to understand this phrase. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jude 24 and 25 is an important scripture to understand because Jesus Christ is our access to the Father. Apart from Jude 24 and 25, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you guiltless before the glory of Almighty God. That's Jesus Christ. That's what he does. That's why Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. You come to the Father without Jesus, you're not going to get off the ground. But if you're escorted there with the Son, throwing his arm around you, bringing you before the Father. That'll be a totally different experience. He touched them. And they arose. And as they were coming down the mountain, think about all the crazy things that just happened in a really relatively short period of time. Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody about the vision. Listen, until you see the Son of Man raised from the dead. 
Why is Jesus always saying, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone? Jesus is not trying to accelerate or decelerate a clock. He has a day. There is a decreed day that he is headed to the cross. That's his purpose for being there. there this was not plan B, C, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T. It was none of that. This is plan A. This is what he's there for. He's not there to to bring the whole world into an understanding of who he is and what he can do. He's there to die on the cross and make the way possible for the disciples to go forth and tell everyone who Jesus is. You've read about Pentecost, right? That's the day. He says, don't tell anyone until I, again, until I've been raised from the dead, until I'm risen. And the disciples asked, we're confused. I thought the scribes been telling us Elijah has to come first. They just saw his glory. They just saw Elijah. They just saw Moses. But they're a little confused because it didn't match up with their eschatology. Let me just make, I'm not even afraid to say, thus saith the Lord. Your eschatology is wrong. What? Trust me, we're missing something. We don't have it all figured out. They were thinking, this is how it's supposed to go. And Elijah comes, and this happens, and this happens. But that, it didn't happen according to the, what they thought was going to happen, did it? And so they're walking down the mountain with Jesus, who was just glorified before them. They saw Moses and Elijah, and they're saying, but before any of this was supposed to happen, Elijah was supposed to come. That's what the preacher tells us. How's that work? Jesus is going to tell them. Why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah's already been here. And they didn't recognize him. And they did to him whatever they pleased. And so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer in their hands. Jesus says, Elijah's been here. You called him John. He did what Malachi said he was going to do. He got the, the minds of the fathers on their children and the children on the fathers. He's doing a mission of restoration, bringing families back together in an attitude of repentance to receive the coming Messiah. To have ultimate restoration in Christ. And guess what? It didn't happen like the scribes thought it was going to. I can tell you this. Every modern day scribal theologian who is in heaven is right now. And I can also say they weren't when they were here. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. We all, you and I, we all have questions about how's this work and how's that work and, and how's this all going to play out. And so I think our position ought to be we hold on to that loose and we keep our eyes on the prize. Right? Because what will be wrong is not the word of God. What will be wrong is our interpretation. 
The word of God will be true and every man a liar. And God will do exactly what he's always said he's going to do. And maybe we got it and maybe we didn't quite have it right. But we know Jesus Christ is King of King and Lord of Lords, that he will come, that he is going to set his feet on earth. And what they saw on that mountain is going to happen in reality. The glory of the return of the king. Amen? Amen. And he will declare all the earth and all the kingdoms of the earth are the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. It's declared in Revelation. It is going to happen. The hows and whens. Those we are a little iffy. But that he will return, that's not iffy at all. Jesus Christ is going to come back. It says in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he had been speaking of John the Baptist. So they get the idea, okay, Jesus is saying John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the coming of Elijah, that Elijah would come. Now, every time we answer a question, it always causes us to have two more. Does that not happen to you? The more I read the Bible and the more I solve, I solve this, Lord, thank you, I've solved this puzzle, and then there's a little faint voice. But what about, that's what Mondays with the co um, uh, coffee with the pastor is all about. Come, come, come Monday, have a cup of coffee, and we'll all talk about the things we don't know. As we, as we keep our eyes on the prize, looking for the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is worthy. Listen, if you, don't, <clears throat> if, you, if you can't hold on to anything else from the day, just hold on to this. You, if you can't see Jesus, if you can't see him, you need to be praying. You're closing off prayer. Don't come to God like a spoiled two-year-old who doesn't get their way. You come to God, open heart, open hands, and you will see the glory of the Lord, just like Casey Becker saw when she died and went to heaven. Just like Carrie Nebuchadnezzar is seeing in the events surrounding the healing of her husband and the struggles that they're going to have to walk through. And just like you and I can see if we will hold on. Don't let the enemy discourage you. Death has been defeated. That's not a question. That's not something... We don't know. We absolutely know death has been defeated. That's over. The only thing that happens at death is a doorway opens to the presence of God Almighty. You don't cease to exist. They didn't, we didn't lose anybody. We know right where they are. Death becomes a doorway for the presence of Almighty God. And, and in that moment, Jesus Christ is going to throw his arms around the shoulders of the believer in that place. He's going to cover them with his righteous robe. And in his great joy, he's going to present you to his father. That's what Hebrews 24 and 25 is all about. 
if you are able, if you, if you will focus on him and what he wants to show you, you can see his glory. Amen? Let's go before the Lord together. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come and study your word, to open your word, to be challenged in your word, to be challenged by it, to see in the circumstances of our life similarities, things that we can connect to. Lord, I, I just pray as we, as we recognize, God, that you were glorified before these three men, that you showed them something that that you said was there, but they saw it in reality, and they are eyewitnesses to us about the glory of God found on a mountaintop <coughs> while they were praying in difficult circumstances with a coming cross in the crosshairs, probably six months from the cross. God, you can show us your glory through our circumstances. God, you told us, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. So if we will follow Jesus, if we will pray, if we will seek his face, you will see his glory in your circumstances, no matter what they are. You will see his glory and your struggle. You will see his glory in the ultimate victory that you will have before him. Don't let the enemy discourage you. Don't let him get you down. May we as brothers and sisters come alongside and encourage one another. God be glorified in this place. Be magnified here. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your beauty. Show us your majesty, Lord, help us keep our eyes on the prize. Paul would say, not that I have already attained or been perfected, but one thing I do, I forget the failures that are behind me, and I press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Keep my eyes on the prize. God, I pray for each and every one who is here today that they may know you, that they would find encouragement in their day every day, that they would look for opportunities to be encouragers in their days, in the coming days. Lord, that we might hold one another up, strengthen weak knees and feeble arms so that we might be the men and women you've called us to be for such a time as this, to stand in the gap in our day until we see your face. God be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.